Today's episode of Bike Club is brought to you by ATSAP. Have an idea for the next big thing and not sure how to turn it into a reality? ATSAP delivers custom software solutions that provide early-stage startups and small businesses the tools necessary for sustained growth. Check out www.atsapllc.com for more details on our services. Again, that's www.atsapllc.com, www.atsapllc.com. ATSAP, let's build together. back to this episode of Bike Club. I'm Colin Dreher. Joining me as always, Antonino Fabrero. As always, Bike Club is presented by ATSAP. We provide small businesses and entrepreneurs the tools necessary for sustained growth. Check out atsapllc.com to get a free consultation on any of our software services. Thanks to those who follow and subscribe to the podcast. If anybody doesn't, feel free to go check it out. Please subscribe and share. Bike Club is available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and many, many more. Yeah, and welcome back, everyone. Uh, Today is Friday, October 23rd, and uh, we are really excited for this episode. I know we say that every week um, or every time we have a new episode, but uh, this one is, I think, really relevant to a lot of people. If you haven't done it yet, I would highly recommend going to Netflix and watching their new documentary called The Social Dilemma. That is what we're going to be talking about here today. Um, you know, the social dilemma. If you, for those of you who have not watched it, uh, it basically deals with the quote-unquote social dilemma of these different social media companies and how they kind of influence everyone's ed- everyday life um, and how they kind of you know know a lot of information about individual users and the actions they take on their cell phones and laptops. Uh, and you know, not only is this a, a great tech talk topic, but it's a great you know quote-unquote, social dilemma to, to speak about. So I think everyone's going to find uh, today's episode extremely interesting. Yeah, um, I think I was a little late to the social dilemma trend. Um, I just watched it last week. Uh, I think it came out a few weeks ago on Netflix, and it's it's streamingly exclusively on Netflix. I think it's a Netflix uh, special. Um, but yeah, I definitely go check that out. It is. It's really thought provoking. It's very interesting. I thought it, my personal opinion is that it was very well. Um, I thought it was well produced and well directed. Um, and we'll get into kind of our opinions a little bit shortly here. Um, but I, you know, for people who are not familiar with the social dilemma, it is basically um, a film dedicated to, you know, the concerns. Uh, and, and social implications, as Antonino uh, pointed out, um, it really hits home those sort of you know implications on society and how it's like actually affecting people's behavior and and you know minds. Really, um, it's crazy to think that a piece of technology like social media can do that. Um, they really go in, into depth uh, in terms of that. And the one thing I really like about it is that they bring on these people who used to work for these you know giant software moguls and software media companies like Twitter and Facebook and Google, they actually bring these people in and and they share their actual opinions on why they actually no longer work there. A lot of them correlate exactly with the the social dilemmas, you know, point that they're trying to drive home. Uh, 
you know, this is a, this is a critically acclaimed documentary already. Um, I think it was featured, um, in the, uh, Sundance festival, I think is what it's called. Um, yeah. Sundance. Yep, Sundance. So, I mean, that, that's a big deal for, for like shorts and documentaries and, and, you know, films like that is that that means it's like critically acclaimed and very recognized. So definitely worth the watch for anybody who has not seen it. Yeah. And, and to your point on that, I think it's one of the only documentaries that I've watched and it, you know, there were interviews obviously between people involved in those companies. Uh, but there was like also an acting part to it where you kind of had this family that, yeah. you know, kind of tells this personal story, how the, how social media has taken over this family's lives and influenced their family, uh, you know, in, in this film to the extreme, um, you know, but it still kind of is really, it really brought out the thought provoking part of this film that, you know, there actually is this, this issue that is affecting everyday lives of everyday people. And, um, you know, how do we solve that? And that's the one thing I, I, that's my only critique of the film is I didn't feel that it actually put forth a solution to the problem. Um, you know, sure. maybe that's because there isn't one. Um, but th- that's like yeah. one thing I wish they would have done. It just, you know, kind of had someone put forth a solution. And there was the one guy, um, the, the humane tech organization that he was, he had founded. Yeah. His name is, uh, Tristan Harris. Yes. He, the Center for Humane Technology is something that he co-founded with another person. Yep. Yeah, so like that right there. Like, so that was sort of a solution, but I, I still didn't feel that they actually portrayed like, you know, here's the solution and here's what we have to get to in society to actually solve this problem. Um, but again, it, it was probably one of the best documentaries I, I think I've watched in a long time. And, uh, you know, I think it's very, very thought-provoking. Yeah, uh, the thing you were referring to is it was, it was, it's considered a documentary drama hybrid. Like that's the way that they, they market it and that's the way that they created it. And I thought that was really interesting. I don't really think I've seen anything like that before. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the only one that I've seen like that and it was similar, but not to like that extent, like I didn't find the acting that was you know done as well as they did here was uh wormwood. Uh, you know, that's another cool documentary. Yeah, I haven't seen, I would that. highly recommend that one as well, but that, that's a series. Though, yeah, right? that's like a you know a four episode series or something like that. Um, yeah, this is a one and a half hour film. Um, yeah, I thought it was really cool. So, like I said, personally, I've never seen anything like that. So, the majority of it was documentary based, in which they had these tech experts giving their personal interviews, um, and then they had yeah this mix and match between that and this family that was being affected. Um, you know, uh, there will be spoilers. I think we're probably going to spoil it for people who haven't seen this. So if you're at this point and haven't seen it, I would recommend going to watch it before you listen any further, unless you don't care about spoilers. <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, this family was impacted pretty much like you mentioned at like the ex- one of the more extreme ends of it. But I think, you know, that was basically the point. I think there were certain points in this film in which I sort of felt like uh, it was like propaganda a little bit. Just um, just the vibe I was getting, uh, it was almost like scare tactic. But I do think that there was cause for concern and, and there was a deliberate reason to have that in the film. I think, you know, the message trying to be brought across, you know, is that this is this could be incredibly you know, detrimental to society as a whole, um, in this technological age that we live in. 
So, you know, maybe they did go over the top a little in, in terms of kind of really trying to push and push this message. And I think the drama part of it uh, really got that across. Right. So I don't really blame them for having that, but I did feel like certain parts of it were like, it seemed, it, obviously it's very one-sided, but that's, that is the entire intent. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that, that, that's a great point. And, you know, I, I think that kind of leads into this one point I want to make about the film is they, I thought one of the more interesting parts was the part about how most people in today's age tend to get their news um, from social media platforms, from Facebook, from Twitter. And yep. the scary part about it is, yep. you know, like, you know, say what you want, but there tends to be in our society, you know, more conservative people tend to watch Fox News, more liberal people tend to watch CNN. And, you know, maybe that's not the greatest, you know, news ideal. You know, they, they tend to be kind of, both networks tend to be kind of biased in their their views on the political spectrum. Um, but the interesting point that the the documentary brought up about this was that social media actually, those platforms start to learn, you know, using machine learning, start to learn about your interests and your likes. And they kind of know, okay, you know, person A is a conservative, person B is uh, a Democrat. Uh, and so they start to present to you news articles and posts that kind of fit your personal beliefs. And so they, they, they had this study that they showed that I thought was super interesting where they showed that social media is basically responsible for like the political divide in this country. Um, you know, like, yeah. which is like, that's like, to me, that's super powerful because that is like creating a divide in this country that, you know, you, you can't like, you, you, like, how do you stop that? Like you, you can't like, like, I don't know. It just, it got, it's, it was a really interesting point because that's how these companies make money is keeping you on the platform for as long as they can. You know, they want you to see things that you like and that you're interested in. So they're not going to show you a differencing opinion or show you another news article that might not, you know, sway you to stay on that site. So I thought that was like super powerful because that's like, you know, it's a, it, the technology is cool how it can learn about you. And like your, your personality and your different traits and your interests, but that's super scary because that's a lot of power given to those platforms. Yeah. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head with that one. There's kind of two different sides I want to talk about during the, the, the podcast here is one, the social implications, um, kind of how the film dived, uh, dove rather dived is not a word dove into, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> social implications, uh, and then we could also kind of have, you know, our own opinion on that. And then the second thing is the technology. You know, we're a pop culture technology podcast. Uh, we're two tech geeks ourselves. Um, you know, I really want to dive into the technology part of it because there is a lot that could be talked about there. Um, you know, specifically like the AI machine learning and algorithms that that run all the time. Um on these applications, basically those are the applications, you know? So there's two different like kind of things I want to hit. Um, you know, the, part of me for like the first part of the film, just being like a techie guy, um, was very impressed and like in awe at the fact that this technology can just even be developed in the first place. Like I sort of found myself thinking like, you know, while while they were talking about how it's like destroying society and how people are being literally tracked and how the 
they're tracked for how long they spend on a post or how they engage with the post or how long they are looking at a photo, like on Instagram, if you're scroll, like how fast you're scrolling, all of that stuff is, is tracked with this, this code. And to me, like there were certain parts that I was just like astonished that that's even, even feasible within the realm of, of, you know, software development like that. That just seems like unbelievable to me that you can track how long someone's looking at something and how fast they're scrolling. And based off of that, these these machine uh, learning, you know, AIs uh, that are built by data scientists on on these apps and these platforms, they can just spam ads based off of activity for certain right. users. And like that is their whole market, you know, so there's so much to talk about with the technology and, and then there's also the social stuff, which I think could make for a very good discussion, not just with you and I, but I feel like this is going to be very, very uh, provoking for discussions for a lot of people. Um, oddly enough, probably on social media. Absolutely. But <laughs> Absolutely. Ironically enough. But yeah, I mean like the, the technology is, it, it's impossible to deny, you know, objectively speaking that this is it's incredibly impressive that that can even be created where you know you're sort of like creating a monster it seems like with this sort of the power that the ai has behind it you know so at a, at a certain point you're like oh shit we developed this this thing and a lot of the tech experts say like you know you know this is getting very bad people who worked for facebook and google who have left the company since for ethical reasons are saying like this is this is a problem it's going to be a very big problem right you know so it's it's sort of a, a double edged sword in the sense that the technology is it's so powerful that you're like wow this is amazing but it's also so powerful that it could be the the downfall and it sort of kind of is already of society absolutely absolutely you know like if we if we're starting to talk now about just the technology um like you said of this this platform i, I guess it, it kind of falls into the document doesn't really get into the specifics of the the technology but you know at a high level this is machine learning and, and deep learning algorithms um you know for those of you listeners who don't know exactly what that is you know machine learning and deep learning algorithms are algorithms that are, are self-learning so the idea is that you write these algorithms that when given inputs, given data, it can analyze that data and make decisions based off that data and how that data influences the, you know, the projection of what the result or output is supposed to be. Um, and so like, you know, for example, the idea is that with these deep learning models is that if you input into the algorithm information about a, let's say a patient, um, you know, if you give it information about 10,000 patients with these symptoms and each of these, you know, 90% of these patients have, um, you know, this disease or this illness, then it effectively learns that anytime you have inputs similar of, to this type of, these type of patients, that, you know, there's a 90% chance that they probably have this disease or this illness. And you can develop these learning algorithms to basically teach people or teach, not people, but technology and software to infer the way humans infer. Um, and deep learning is kind of based off of the idea of the the brain and how different neurons fire and synapses fire to basically kind of build these networks of connections to basically make decisions and inferences. Um, and so it's a really, really powerful and really, really cool software. Um, but in the case of the social dilemma here, Facebook and Google and these other tech companies are basically using that same type of algorithm 
where the, the data that they're inputting into is your personal information, such as the websites you view, uh, the posts that you like, uh, the photos that you like. And it uses those inputs to basically draw conclusions and learn things about you and you know produce an output or a result in this case, which is what they show to you on the screen as to basically, you know, what it has learned about you and your personality. So the, the scary thing about it is, you know, it's these, these algorithms are so complex that they're learning things about you that potentially you might not know about yourself. Um, you know, some of the posts that it might recommend to you, you might not think of or know are of interest to you, but that algorithm has actually deemed that as something you would find interesting or intriguing. Um, and basically, it's, it, in my opinion, it, these algorithms are capable of basically building, you know, a personality like trait or personality, um, you know, I don't know what the proper term is, like profile, profile. Uh, exactly personality profile of model. yeah model of, of, of a person. And that's scary because now it's like basically you can take this data and give it to, a, you know, a company, an e-commerce company that's trying to sell you something and kind of basically provide uh, you know, that those companies, the information need to basically target specific people. And that's basically what Facebook does or all these platforms, Pinterest, Twitter, when you run ads, you know, we, you know, we, we do, it. we run ads on those, those platforms and, you know, you can go on there and target people with these specific interests. And it's just the amount of interest they have on there for you to select from are infinite. It, it, it's, it's incredible. And like, you're guaranteed to basically reach someone with that interest, which is just crazy. Yeah, so you unpacked a, a lot there. Um, so the the last portion in which that you said they're trying to build basically a profile of people is that is the entire goal of these companies. And they really emphasize that in the film. They talked about they're basically using these deep learning machines to build models. They kept saying models. And they really drove that point home in the film and in the drama part of it. They had this family and they... they specifically uh, targeted the um, the high school aged what I could assume would be high school aged uh, boy in the family um, and you know he's actually an actor that you would probably recognize like I recognized him I don't know what his name is but uh, I recognized him I think that he was in Drake and Josh in like the one episode I'm about to look I it think up. he was what? like um I think he was, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he was Megan's assistant. Uh, I forget what his name was, but he, it was that one episode of Drake and Josh where they, uh, Drake and Josh ate the nachos that were like made from sticky glue. And I think that that, that actor was, was that kid who made it. But anyway, uh, aside from the tangent there, they drove the point home with, with this guy, um, basically who was addicted to his phone and they were illustrating this point with basically three people. It was the same person, not the same person as the actor, but it was another actor. And there were three of him basically in a quote unquote control room, like inside of his phone, inside of his devices. And, um, this is, this is a good illustration of how these machines are working in the sense that everything that he did on his phone, they were interacting with and were controlling the next things that he did in his phone. So, you know, there were certain points in the film where like he wasn't on his phone, where, you know, he was at school and they were saying he hasn't scrolled on his phone in five minutes. Let's send a push notification to get him engaged. And then the second they did that, he looked down at his phone and then started scrolling on his phone. There was also a point where he was 
uh, he had like a bet with his mom because his mom wanted him to stay off his phone. So she took his phone for what was supposed to be a week. And after a few days, uh, these quote unquote people that were living inside of his phone said he hasn't, you know, used his phone in, in 46 hours, you know, let like what is going on. And so they started spamming his phone with notifications. Eventually he looked, um, and then he was on his phone for like 15 straight hours overnight or whatever. Um, this was a really well illustrated point on how these, these machines work. Um, the processing power behind this advanced technology is unbelievable. I think they had a chart that that came up that said the processing power over time since like the 60s or 70s has gone up by a factor of like 1 trillion times. So the processing power from from back then to now has exponentially increased and it still is while our brains have not evolved at all. Right. So these that really illustrates the power of these these uh, networks and these machines that they are literally exponentially and unfathomably smarter than we are. And the fact that they can drive our decisions based off of that, you know, is crazy. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, like you had said, they're like affecting things that you do, which goes to, uh, you know, the societal part of it, especially you were talking about politics. They had a lot of a lot of political influence specifically illustrated in the film. Like um, they were talking about uh, in Brazil, um, there was a candidate who ran uh, for president or I don't know, prime prime minister, what, whatever the off, the highest ranking official in offices in Brazil. And he won by 90, he won 95% of the votes and his campaign was, strictly on Facebook. Like that's how powerful yeah. Facebook is, is he got 95% of the votes. He pretty much ran it through social media, you know, and, and we live in the age of they're calling it with dis, the disinformation age where our democracy is being challenged um, because the spread of information is not the spread of the truthful information. It's the spread of information that is more alike information that you've already seen. So this was illustrated kind of by you, Antonino, with the Fox News, CNN stuff. And then also in the film where, again, this this teenage uh, child was basically um, over time in the film, the more and more that he spent on Facebook, the more and more of a, well... This is a kind of a, a polarizing opinion, but like the more and more negatively he was impacted. Right. I guess it depends on your political views, right? But whatever. Outside of that, they were illustrating it in a negative light. So basically, um, he started spending more and more time on Facebook and more and more time that he spent watching like anti-climate change and, you know, polarizing content, you know, the stuff that is associated with you know, extremist right-wing policies, right? They were kind of painting that as as very negative. And he ended up, you know, going to a rally and got arrested. So, like, they were trying to depict the fact that this kid was so impacted by Facebook that he, his entire, you know, political arc was being changed and, you know, his behavior was being changed and the way that he thought was being changed because of 
these platforms. Right, exactly. I think that's like, there's an interesting point to that too about the sister in there. And real quick, your, your point about the actor, he actually is like a famous actor. He's in Vacation. He's in The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, mm. He's in Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's in a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, th- I think the other interesting part of that too is the part about his sister where she kind of says like, you know, hey, you know, you're, you're gonna, you're falling into the wrong, you know, you're falling into the wrong crowd because you're, you're uninformed. She was like, you know, like this isn't really happening. And she says like something along those lines. And basically it's like, like you had, like Colin had said is he's completely blinded by the fact that the information that he's getting on Facebook is tailored to how he's currently feeling in his personality. Like, you know, this whole thing with that, with the girl, he broke with the girl. He's feeling pissed off at the world. He's feeling upset at himself. He's feeling, feeling upset at the world. Like, you know, the social media platforms then feed into that because it knows about that and it learns that from him. Um, and it kind of paints a picture in his head that isn't actually true. Um, so yeah, it's really, really powerful stuff. And, and it's just, it, it's kind of crazy to think that while this was an, ex- you know, an extreme scenario that the documentary kind of points out. And as Colin mentioned earlier on in the show, that's kind of the point of the documentary is kind of make this, you know, over extreme example to kind of, paint the picture that social media is kind of influencing our everyday lives, whether we'd realize it or not. Um, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. That was one, also one point, um, with the disinformation that, uh, I don't have his name in front of me. You can find it on the website for the social dilemma. It might be socialdilemma.com or something like that, but they have a list of all of the tech experts that they had on the film. And one of them was a former engineer at Google and possibly also Facebook. Um, but he said he, one thing that that sort of stuck with me was, you know, you see these people with complete polar opposite opinions of you, like specifically politically, you know, like if you are a liberal and you think you have a friend or maybe not even a friend who's who's just like extreme conservative, you're thinking like, how do they see this information and still have that opinion? Right, right. Well, he said he said they're not seeing that information. Like that's the whole thing is the algorithms in in you know Facebook and Google uh, are designed so that they provide users with similar and recommended information. So, like if I'm spending all my time on Facebook looking at anti anti-climate change and like flat earth and stuff like that, that's going to continue and continue and continuously be provided for me as my form of content on Facebook. And I'm never going to see, you know, the other side of, of the equation. Like I'm never going to see that. Exactly. So, you know, that's, a, that was an interesting thing with, you know, an example they provided that was funny to me was uh, with YouTube. They provided a, uh, Kyrie Irving, his flat earth theory as an example. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, as a Boston Celtics fan, I, I hate Kyrie Irving now as, you know, he left the team. Uh, but also the whole flat earth thing was just absolutely idiotic from him. And he says a lot of things that are controversial, but that was one of the things that he's, it's kind of stuck with them a little bit. And he blamed it on YouTube because he said that he got stuck in the YouTube rabbit hole. And you think that's a cop out, but then they also had a former Google and YouTube engineer on this film who was literally responsible for creating these algorithms. And the way that he described it was the goal is to 
create these rabbit holes that you go down. So like, if you ever, if you ever see yourself on YouTube at like 11 o'clock, you're about to go to sleep and it, all of a sudden it's one in the morning and you've watched like 25 videos in a row of like, you know, funny pranks or like home videos or, or whatever, like all of those things tying together. Like that's an, that is a direct, you know, tactic that YouTube has built into their algorithm is these quote unquote rabbit holes that you go down. And that's literally what it is. Like, it's unbelievable that algorithms and the, you know, the networks that are being built have such a large influence on the, the information that, that I am seeing, you know, and also with Fox news and CNN, like the news and media outlets now are just so polarized, especially the last few years that it it's hard to get like neutral content. Absolutely. Like I'm not even it's sure that exists anymore. Now. Yeah, I would like, agree. Let alone, let alone social media, take social media completely out of it. This standard, good old national media. It Where, where can you find neutral reporting? Cause on it, I haven't found, it's not like I'm spending all my time in the news partly because of this political, you know, landscape we're in. But like, where can you find that? I'm genuinely curious. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and that's like, I think, you know, this show does mention, like I mentioned earlier, the, the part of like, there's studies that show that social media, <clears throat> excuse me, that so, there's studies that show that social media is basically responsible for the political divide in this country. And that's crazy to think about. Um, and to your point too, the other thing that I thought was super interesting was, I think I believe it's the guy who founded the, um, the Humane Technology Society or whatever it's called. Um, he brought this point center center for humane technology. Yeah, because yeah. he had brought this point. Tristan, what is his name? Tristan. It's it's spelled tr- like Tristan Harris, but it's Tristan. Tristan. Okay, Tristan. Yeah, but he brought up this interesting point too, where you know he was like a UI designer at Google, and um, he had wrote this how how this organization started. He had wrote this basically proposal to the Google executives that like you know, hey, I'm working on Gmail. But we have all these psychologists from like Stanford coming in and kind of helping us design Gmail so that people don't leave Gmail. He's like, I thought that email was a tool so that, you know, we could, you don't have to be constantly, you know, having meetings or communicating with people. And he brought up this really interesting point too, where, you know, these, these deep learning algorithms and these social media platforms and these, these social platforms are kind of, they start out, started out as tools to help the human race to help society to make it more efficient to make it better but it's coming into an uh, it's it's no longer a tool now these these tools have basically influenced our society and have influenced people um you know ways of life and i thought that the gmail thing was so interesting to me because that's true like g email is supposed to be a tool to help you communicate in business help you communicate in the world it's not supposed to be something that's supposed to drag you into never leaving it you know Um, that, that's another point too, that I just thought that was incredible. Um, you know, I I think that that too, even with the, you know, going off your, your point about the news is in my opinion, the news was started as a tool to basically inform the public about what is going on in the day-to-day world, in your neighborhood, in your state, in your country, you know, what is going on. It is now with these new technologies turning it into a, no longer a tool, but a way to basically suck people in and get your attention and get your viewership to basically drive up their bottom dollar. You know, that is their, these companies absolute business model is keep you on the platforms for as long as possible without leaving so that they can drive up 
your revenue because you in fact are, you know, uh, the reason why these companies make money. And I thought that the, the last point I'll make about this is I thought one of the interesting points to the documentary was someone in the documentary mentions that the social media companies are the only people that don't call their customers customers. They call their customers users. He goes, the only other people that do that yeah, yeah. Are, are drug dealers. <laughs> He's like, you know, like that yeah. was like, that was like a powerful point. Cause it was like these companies, they don't care about your well-being. They don't care about what information you're reading, how that's influencing everyday life. All they care about is that you're spending hours on their platform and they're making a boatload of money off of you. Yeah. That was a quote that I wrote down also in my notes. Um, when I rewatched it today a little bit, um, it was, there are only two industries that call their customers users, illegal drugs and software. Uh, Edward Tuft, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, that was who quoted, that was who was quoted. Um, and I thought they did that also really well. Um, they occasionally went to a black screen and they just had a little quote up with some, something that someone said. I thought that was very powerful. I agree. I um, agree. Just from a, a production perspective. But like, yeah, that that is... That is the entire model of these companies is is manipulation. So they're manipulating human psychology in, in to drive engagement and growth um, for revenue. So a- another quote that was said is, uh, if you know you have these free applications, right? And uh, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. That was also another thing that I wrote down, which, you know, these, these apps are free, um, for users to use. They're again, say users. It's so, it's such a natural thing to say, you know, as a software, you know, developer is users, 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 end users, whatever, um, it gives it a special kind of connotation now after watching that. But anyway, um, you know, it's free to users of the application advertisers are the customers for the businesses because they're funding basically the application so that they can get their word out. And we are the product. Our data is being sold. Like in a way we are being sold. That That's uh, another point that they were really driving home um, is that, you know, they sell like certainty in the sense that they're selling the data that we have for our person. Like they're selling our data um, to, uh, advertisers for revenue. So advertisers pay a million dollars. They say, Facebook says, this is the most efficient way that we can a hundred percent guarantee that you're going to get, you know, 10,000 more customers. That's a million dollars. So a million dollars and then a hundred thousand people's data is just ripped and thrown into the algorithm. And then these predictions and, and suggestions are made basically, you know, surveying over the people, everything is tracked on the internet. So, um, another thing that Tristan said is basically it was surveillance capitalism. You know, there were a lot of really good quotes in this movie that, that I wrote down and I'm kind of just spatting them out, but like, basically we are the product, our data is being sold. You know, that's the whole point that that's the whole business model is that we're going to manipulate how people spend time on the application and engage with the application. Absolutely. And so let's dive a little bit deeper into this, this discussion or this topic, um, because I think this brings up a really interesting discussion point as well, where, so if you, you take this, this idea that 
the users on these platform are the actual product that's being sold to the actual customers who are the businesses. Now mm. that's Facebook, that's Twitter, that's Pinterest, that's all these social media companies' business platform. Now that's a huge problem. I, I see that problem. I, I agree with. I think most people agree that's a huge problem that our data is being sold in a way that can manipulate us. I mean, that's 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 a that's a big problem. But the flip side of that is, how are these social media companies going to make money? You know, people are going to be pissed yeah. if tomorrow Facebook and Twitter close down because they don't have the revenue to keep their operation running. You know, what's the other option? You make users pay to to use this platform, you know, and or, or whatnot. Like, how do you, how do you, like, how do these companies then make money to have to, to, to you know, enough money to stop doing what they're doing? You know, what is the solution here? Like, I think that is like something that, you know, the documentary didn't talk too much about, but like that, 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 like, how do you solve that? Yeah. I'm not even sure there really is a true solution. Like the solution that you could come off off the top of your head right now is just delete the source code for the app, delete Facebook off, you know, the face of the planet. Okay. Well, why would Mark Zuckerberg do that? Because right. he's making, he is a, he's a billionaire. Facebook is a trillion dollar company. You know, everything in this world is driven by a monetary value and it's, it's purely, you know, based on, you know, revenue, you know, so Facebook has investors who have given money to them. So, you know, it's not like they'd be losing their own money. Like they have investors that, you know, they're liable for, um, you know, it, it wouldn't make sense from a business perspective, like strictly speaking like they don't have a monetary incentive to change anything like they could have all these court cases like mark zuckerberg could go to court and they could talk about the ethics of storing data you know and they could kind of edit the way that they're doing it so that they're not breaking any like regulations but they have no incentive to change what they're doing because they're literally worth a trillion dollars like why if you're worth a trillion dollars like why change what you're doing exactly exactly i i think you hit that the nail right on the head there um you know, and and I think that there's another part, speaking of Mark Zuckerberg in that documentary where they talk about the one ex-Facebook exec talked about how they basically had discussions where they could just have Mark go in and like turn a knob, like, hey, we want to get more u- oh, the yeah, dials. The dial yeah. Thing. yeah, we just want to get more users and more ad revenue in, in Brazil. Let's just turn up the knob. You know, we want to increase the amount of users in Arkansas, turn up the knob. Um, you know, like that that to me, that's what's also powerful too, because now like you have one person who can basically control the, um, you know, and control and influence people's opinions. Like, I I think that that right there, like that should be a regulation. Like Zuckerberg being able to basically control when and where he wants more users to be on the platform. That should be, that's, that's wrong. That should be illegal. But, you know, in terms of the yeah, algorithm itself yeah. just doing this work, you know, I don't necessarily see the problem because like that's their entire I mean, I see the problem, but I, I don't think it's like inherently evil, is my point, I guess. Yeah. Uh Tim Kendall was his name. He's the former executive of Facebook and also the former president of Pinterest. Yep. Um yeah, he said that they had discussions, you know, with Mark, uh, just like having these dials of exactly what you just said. Um, he said they had discussions that he made it sound like that is not a thing that exists, like that they're currently using. 
I guess we'll never know, but the fact, yeah, the fact that that could even happen, you know, Hey, I want more users in Korea. It's just bump up the monetization on the ads and we're going to get a hundred thousand cost, like a hundred thousand users today in Korea. Like it is unbelievable to me that that is something that it just so easily, you know, just comes right off the top of your head as someone who's worked at Facebook as like an executive say, yeah, we can just do that. Right. You know, we, we could do that. Yeah. It would take two seconds to do that. <laughs> two seconds to two two seconds to make, you know, ten million dollars in in ad revenue. Yeah, how do, how do we get one of those? I would love to just have a knob that turns. Yeah, I want to increase the number of clients we have this month. Just turn up a knob. You know, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that begs the question. You know, like, how do you change the mold? Like, if you are building a social media platform, and like we have an idea for like a social media application, um. Like, so I was kind of, I'm kind of thinking like if, if to turn this into a billion dollar idea or turn any idea, you know, oh, I got the next Twitter, I got the next idea for Twitter, you know, you can grow that organically yourself, but at a certain point, how does that become a billion or trillion dollar business without you having to follow in the same footsteps? That's basically like the standard playbook for these social media companies. Like how can you scale at that speed like Facebook did in such a rapid pace. How can you scale like that without doing a similar thing? Like, can you build, like, can you truly build a a social media platform and advertise it as like, you know, our pitch is that we don't sell your data. You know, like we are, uh, we are an ethical social media application. There's going to be people who appreciate that and sign up for it. But like, is an application like that going to be able to scale at such an exponential speed? Like I, I don't think that that is possible. Like I don't think that's something that people have have thought of yet. Right. Yeah. Or if yeah, like can you even do that? Like who knows? Because if an advertiser wants to advertise on your platform, but you're not willing to have these sort of networks that just willingly share people's data, how can you guarantee your advertiser that you are going to you know, perform for them. Otherwise, you know, you know, like how, how do you choose where to show that ad? You know, that's why Facebook is so good to have all of these different types of, you know, AB testing and everything that you can run ads. Like how do you do that if you are not selling data? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's a great point. Um, yeah, dude, I don't know. Y- you know, I, it, it's like, you know, but I guess my other thought on that is that, you know, let's just say we had a social media platform that we grew, we grew organically and we didn't try to basically, you know, manipulate people's thoughts. The other thing I thought that was interesting about that is someone in the documentary brought up the point that there's some, like, just because we have friends on Facebook or friends on Twitter doesn't mean that you'll actually see what your friends are posting because like it doesn't necessarily fit into that algorithm. So let's just assume that we create a social media platform that, um, you know, only lets you see what your friends post. And it just truly just shows you in a chronological chronological order the posts that are coming out from your friends or the people that you follow. Like, can you still have the business model of, of throwing out ads there? You know, is the value of Facebook the fact that they have, you know, one billion users or more than whatever it is, you know, a billion users? Is that the value of Facebook? Or is the value of Facebook 
that the fact that they can target so precisely with these ads, the type of users, quote unquote, that these businesses want to have, you know, like where is the value in these companies? Because if you talk, if the, if the comp, if the value in these companies is strictly the amount of users, then I think that, yeah, you can create a safer social media platform that doesn't require the, like the manipulation aspect of this. Um, but the true value of these corporations is that the fact that they can actually pinpoint with like a hundred percent certainty that, you know, this user is going to actually like, or be interested in your product, then no, there, there's no other way to kind of, you know, build a business model around that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that was probably someone, I think someone who worked at Google, they were talking about how it's almost like playing a slot machine. You know, like if you have your phone on a desk and it's face down, you know, and you're just like, you know, five, 10 minutes will pass. And, you know, even I do this where like, I'll have my phone next to me and like five or 10 minutes will pass. I'll be working on something. And then I just look over to my phone and I'm just like, Hey, do I have anything on my phone to look at? You know, it's like playing a little virtual slot machine that, you know, you're saying like, like, Ooh, like, am I going to have a notification on my phone? Right. You know, um, it's that, that's, that's one of the ways that they just absolutely, ripped through user engagement is, is the, the use of like pop-up notifications. And one thing with Facebook is the photo tagging. Um, you know, they use photo tags. So like if you see an email, one thing in the film was, if you see an email that the subject line is Antonino tagged you in a photo and you open the email and there's a link, uh, to Facebook, I'm a hundred percent going to click on that link to see that I was tagged in, in a photo by Antonino, you know, but that begs the question, why not just send the photo that I was tagged in, in the email? You know, that doesn't drive engagement. The reason, the way to drive engagement to your app is to have, you know, an email or a notification that says you were tagged in this photo. It forces you to open the app. You see the photo, you interact with the photo, you know, you comment, you like, and then you're on the application and you're going to spend 10 more minutes on that application. You know, it's these sort of things that they did that, you know, like it became specifically Facebook is how they grew so, so fast and became kind of the formula for other companies to follow. Right, right. That That's a great, great point. Um, yeah, dude, I, I just like, I don't know what to say about some of these topics just because, you know, we have a, we run our own business. We operate our own company and like, you know, our end goal is to drive a profit. And I personally, like on a personal level, if, if, you know, if I was the head of Facebook, if I was Mark Zuckerberg and I was running Facebook and I knew that I could absolutely, without a doubt, drive the amount of profit and revenue that they're, they're driving per month, you know, why would I, like you said earlier, there, there's no incentive to not do it this way. Why would I change my business model when it's working so well? Yeah, I think like 95 out of 100 people would would have a similar opinion. I mean, there are people out there who, you know, not everything is about money. Like I understand that. But, you know, money drives human behavior arguably more than anything else. Like if you, if if I was presented with the opportunity to make $100 million in five seconds and all I have to do is, you know, sell a hundred thousand people's, you know, name and age and gender. Like 
who is not going to do that? Right. You know, and it, it's not, it's not explicitly the fault of these individual companies like Facebook, Twitter, um, Google, YouTube, who's owned by Google, like uh, Snapchat, Instagram. I don't think it, I, it's, they were not inherently evil. And in I think you said that earlier and, and deliberately evil in what they were doing. I think it's sort of gotten away from them and now they're sort of at a point of no return. Um, I don't, I'm not going to personally blame like these individual companies for, you know, some changes in society more as I would just say like social media and media as a whole. Like, I don't, I don't think it's fair to say like, you know, to Mark Zuckerberg, like you're the reason that, you know, more teen girls than ever are like committing suicide or harming themselves, which was a thing that was in, in the film. Um, I don't think it's fair to that individual company. I think it's more of an overall social media as a whole. Like the one thing that they shared um, is with mental health. I think it is worth bringing up is that the there's a direct correlation between like 2010 and 2011 when the real peak of social media started that there's a direct correlation between the teen girls that uh, committed suicide or were just, you know, put into hospitals. So uh, I have these two pictures from the documentary U S hospital admissions for non-fatal self-harm girls aged uh, 15 to 19 from 2009, which is when I guess they're saying Facebook and other social media kind of really hit stride went up 62%. And girls aged 10 to 14 went up 190%. And then U.S. suicide rates in that same year, since that same year, girls aged 15 to 19, 70% increase in 10 to 14, it went up 151%. So it's like these social media platforms, uh, social media as a whole is driving, you know, this sense of self-worth and and like insecurity for you know, young teenagers and, and younger people who whose brains just simply are not developed. They're just not fully developed. And, you know, you post a picture on Snapchat or Facebook and you can have a hundred people commenting on your picture and like, you know, 10 of them might have something nasty to say and the other 90 might have something great to say, but you're only going to focus on those 10 people. Like our brains were not, our brains are not developed enough to program to react to hundreds of people reacting at one time to us, you know? So it is, it is a problem. And like, you you know, you see it all the time and it's really unfortunate that, you know, cyber bullying and everything happens on these social media platforms because it's so easy for people to do that, you know, electronically and just lash out. And there's really no way of stopping it. Like that's one of the more tragic impacts. I think that these platforms have on society is that, you know, I think this is like the first generation, like Gen Z, which is kind of what we're a part of. I think we're technically Gen Z, right? We're not millennials. I think the cutoff was 96. Yeah, Um, that's correct. Like we're considered the first uh, generation that had social media in middle school. So like, if you think of it that way, you know, 
you grow up using social media and that really is going to influence how a lot of people develop as just human beings. Yeah, a- absolutely. You know, um, it, you brought up a really interesting point about, you know, social media and, and the, the suicide rate in the, in the country. And I don't know if it was in this documentary, if I was reading some other article, but basically like, I believe it was Facebook. One of these platforms basically kind of developed technology that would kind of know when people might self-harm themselves. And so they had basically developed this platform where they could essentially notify authorities like, hey, you know, we have, there's something weird going on. There's something violent or something dangerous that could potentially be going on in this house or this location, you know, and can basically dispatch the authorities to that location. And while personally, I think that's a great idea. I think there'd be a lot of pushback on that because just, just imagine that like, you know, you know, I'm sitting in my home and, you know, a domestic dispute breaks out and somehow Amazon's Alexa or, you know, Facebook somehow's algorithm figures out that like, there's, you know, a dispute going, going on and the police just get dispatched to my house. That's great. You know, like it, it could potentially save a life, but that's also like a complete invasion of privacy. Uh, you know, yeah. like that, that's like a gray area that these platforms are kind of crossing into, um, that like is just in my mind, I don't know if, if it's like the right thing to do. Like, I'm just thinking like, let's just say, for example, the government decides to like basically hold these social media companies accountable for the suicide rate incre- increasing in the country. You know, what are they going to do? they're not going to shut down social media because there's too much money involved. They're going to probably try to enforce regulations or put responsibility and liability on these companies to try to do something about it to prevent that. And what, like, you know, what's those companies solution? You know, is it, uh, we'll just, you know, you know, we have an inkling of when something bad might happen, we'll dispatch the authorities. Like people aren't going to want that. You know, like that's like a complete invasion of privacy. Um, I don't know, dude, my, my point being is that, this we're we're in an interesting time in the world because we're like right at the like sort of front end of all this social media stuff and i think this is a whole new ball game like when it came to tv and you know radio and you know putting on regulations as okay you can't swear on the radio if you do you know it has to be after a certain hour you know you you can't have nudity or profanity on TV during these hours, or they can't be on these channels. And that's like, you know, HBO spiked because they could, you know, have nudity on their, on their channel, but you had to pay for it and whatnot. This is a whole new ball game. Like what regulations can we put on these companies or these industries to protect the children of, of the United States, the, the children of the world? Like, sure. You could like, you know, block nudity and profanity from these sites. But like, I don't know what you do to prevent people from not being sucked in, you know? Cause like it, it's, it's the whole idea of these like online communities, these online social platforms that, you know, their whole intention, their whole idea, the whole business model is to drive users to the site. And so how do you put a, a you know, a, a regulation on that whenever it's a free country and people can choose to basically do whatever they want with their free time. Like I just, you know, like I said, beginning of this episode, I do not think that there really is a solution to this problem, which is scary. 
Um, but I don't know where we go next as, as a society to fix this issue. Yeah. Like you said at the end there, like we live in a free country, you know, one of the biggest things with these platforms is, you know, the first amendment, like the right, the freedom of speech, you know? So like, at what point do you censor what's being said? You know, um, what you brought up with listening or calling the authorities based on some, you know, online activity or, or people's activity, that sort of goes back to the, the third episode that we had where we were talking about, you know, Amazon Alexa um, caught the, and then like catch the recording of somebody like broke into someone's yeah, home. Yeah, there or was something. like a, there was a domestic dispute and like either the husband or the wife shot one of the other people and it was like, you know, caught on recording and the the Department of Justice tried to use that in the court case as, you know, evidence, but Amazon refused to give up that that recording because they said like that would be a complete invasion of users' privacy. Like we like they admitted that they do record everything that's going on, but like if you know, if, if people knew that Amazon was afraid that if people knew that they would just, you know, hand over these recordings and these personal information, you know, willy nilly, that they would lose trust in Amazon and trust in their products. So they invaded people's privacy by listening in, but they don't want to invade people's privacy by sharing <laughs> the recordings. <laughs> that's it, that's exactly right. <laughs> But yeah, like then you have like Facebook and Instagram. Like if I post a, a, a picture of me naked, like, you know, at what point does that get taken down? You know, like they have people working and basically mostly software working to do that. You know, it, it detects, you know, you know, nudity, profanity, you know, threats. Like I can't like go on Twitter and like threaten Donald Trump like, like over and over and over again. Like if, if you did it once, you'd probably be fine. But like, if you did it like over and over and over again, the same on like Google, you know, if you look up like, you know, stuff that would get you on a watch list, you know, like how to build a bomb or something like you do that at one time, you're probably fine. But if you continuously do that, like you're going to get put on a government watch. list. Right. So it's like, there's, there's algorithms and software in place that do this sort of thing. But if you're a, you know, a Facebook, like, they have had a their struggle with monitoring like hate speech because of the First Amendment. I think they recently just came out and said that they're banning all anti-Holocaust, uh, you know, propaganda from Facebook. You know, so people who are saying, you know, that that didn't happen and they're, you know, talking about it, you know, super negatively. Like they, Facebook just finally came out and said that they're going to, you know, not allow that anymore. They're going to censor that. Um, which I'm sure had a lot of people in outrage, but probably the majority of people are fine with that, you know, as normal people should be. Um, but you know, that's a main concern. You know, if I build a Facebook and I am this, the owner and CEO of Facebook, you know, the first amendment should give privilege to people to speak freely, you know, but if they're doing, if they're using that right and privilege to do something that, is harmful to others, then obviously you need to go and censor it. But it's not, it's not such a black and white subject. It's a very, it's a very gray topic. Right. You know, there's a very fine line there to, you know, run across. And, and to that point, I think that, you know, I would not have a problem. Like I agree with you, you know, the anti-Holocaust thing, you know, those should be censored. But 
I, I wouldn't have a, a problem with like people saying what they wanted to say on those platforms if these platforms weren't designed to basically like dis disinform people. You know, like yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. like gotcha. you know, if it wasn't like if if it was just you know you decide to voice your opinion on something that was just completely outlandish, like and I saw it. That's fine. But the fact that like, you know, now I'm going to see 30 different posts about that same topic and try to influence me to like believe in that, you know, that's where I think it gets dangerous. I think that like that's, you know, I think we would agree that that's the issue. Yeah. And I don't, I certainly don't think that's their goal, but you know, their goal isn't to have that negative impact. Their goal is to make as much money as possible and by doing so, uh, or in order to do so, they need to recommend similar activity and behavior to users so that they can run ads that would appeal directly to those users. And then the unfortunate nature is, you know, if I'm spending all my time on Facebook looking at, you know, like anti-climate change stuff, that's some of the only information I'm going to see. And then advertisers who align with that line of logic and have products that, you know, or, or just have a brand that is like anti-climate change, that's a perfect spot for them to advertise. Right. And, and Facebook's going to, you know, they're going to take that money. You know, it makes sense. It's just an, an unfortunate circumstance of something that otherwise, you know, logically made sense to a business. And now it's kind of irreversible. Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Some crazy stuff, my man. I, uh, it's interesting, but also kind of scary. Yeah, I mean, there's so much. There's so much to unpack from this film. Like, you know, if if by some miracle you have not seen the film yet and you've made it through this entire podcast, uh, you need to go watch it. Um, you know, there's we've we've talked a lot about it, but there's there's so much more that you should go watch. Um, you know, it talks about a lot of the stuff we already talked about, the social implications. You know, where society is going, where it already is. You know, the technology. There's also um, some other interesting things that we didn't touch on. Like it, it does briefly talk about, you know, it has people who are in charge of like the growth of Facebook talking about how specifically they did it with like what they call like growth hacking and the A-B testing, which we kind of briefly test on is like companies will release different uh, versions of updates of the app. So like if you ever see like your friends say like, I have this version of Snapchat, but someone else has another version of Snapchat, it could be dependent on the, the phone like model you have or the iOS that you're running or Android that you're running. But um, there is a chance that it's part of this A-B testing where, you know, I have version A and you have version B, you know, 100,000 people have my version, 100,000 have the other version. What version works best? You know, which which version gets the most engagement and positive feedback from users and then that's the one they go with and then they go with like an A-C test. You know, it's that's that's something that Facebook did and uh, the VP of growth at Facebook, I don't have his name, but he uh, was shown on the film giving some presentations about how specifically they did that. And it's very intriguing. Um, and then he also says like, he, he comes back and says, you know, that's how we did this. And it was absolutely great, but now it's very, very bad. So. Right. Right. You know, yeah. I think it's easy to look back on something and say like, Ooh, that was kind of a gray area when you're when you're there and you're like you're in the cutting edge of developing these new platforms you know it's kind of hard to realize what you're actually doing or the implic implications it has down the road 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something like this is such, such a large topic of discussion, which, you know, I'm glad that we talked about it because, you know, the second I saw it, I texted you. I was like, this is our next podcast. Like we, we have to talk yep. about this. You know, it's like a hot topic. Everyone's going to be talking about it and, and we should share our opinions on it. I agree. And I, I, I think we did that. And, you know, I would love to hear from some of our listeners, uh, some feedback. Um, you know, uh, if you have any thoughts, um, or, you know, like provoking thoughts on this topic, um, you know, send us an email at, uh, bite club at at And, uh, you know, maybe we can bring up one of those discussion points in a future episode or write about it in our blog. Yeah. Um, and also, Hopefully right about the time that this podcast is dropping, we'll also have a blog um, article written on a similar topic. We're going to try and do that a lot with um, more topical uh, episodes of the pod. Um, You know, if if we're talking about a specific thing, we want to have blog articles that talk similarly about it. You know, maybe for people who don't like listening to podcasts, you know, for an hour, they can just read something that's like a three minute read and get a similar experience out of it. So that's something that we're definitely going to try doing. So keep your eye out for that. Um, yeah, I think this is a good jumping off point here for us. Uh, if you don't have anything else, I think um, we're probably going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks for everyone who listens as always. And, you know, if you have friends, you know, family, grandparents, pets, I think would like uh, <laughs> listening to the podcast. Dogs love podcasts. Please, yeah, please uh, subscribe and, and share it to as many people as possible. You know, thanks always for supporting Um Antonino and myself and uh, go check out ATSAP LLC for details on the services and stuff that we offer. Uh, If you have feedback on the podcast, feel free to check us out on social media platforms. Um, You know, ironically enough, this was all talking about social media, but you know, you're going to find the podcast on social media. So if you like or dislike hate uh or have comments about the podcast feel free to reach out to us on social media or you can contest contact us directly on our website so yeah yep thanks for everyone who listened and uh we're gonna catch up with you next time yep thanks guys thanks for listening to today's episode of bike club please make sure to like share and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts also be sure to go to www.atsapllc.com slash bike club podcast to support us and help us create great future content until next time 